Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. It's Wednesday afternoon, which means it's time for lulls. We don't have Davis Maddock here to rile you guys all up about Elon, but we have plenty of stuff going on. More poker drama. It is best ball season. Brian thinks we're all sickos. It is what it is. Let's do it. I, does he think? I think he thinks goat? this. He thinks this is a go. Vegas Dave thinks this is a go. Hot naked girls doing yoga. What? Why don't you just win like a man? Random.org. <laughs> Type in one for yes, two for no. And let the DFS guys pick for you. And I'm absolutely begging you not to do bus. <laughs> Please don't do bus. Ryan Cooper, a.k.a. Brick75, how are we doing today? Fantastic. Finally, like, a nice day out over here. I don't know how it's been around you, but... Really? We had, we had like, a false start where I was like, oh, it's going to be spring, and then it's raining again uh, today. So still haven't gotten into the, uh, the summer vibes, but uh, it's pretty good around you? We had, like, one nice day, and then it just poured for, like, two weeks straight. Yeah. Uh, are you going to... Are you do you, do you are you gonna stay at your lake house for most of the summer? Um, yeah, same as I've been doing. Yeah, probably. There you go. Um, man, I still we we need to talk. I, w- I would love to. Uh, I feel like my summer schedule is already getting crazy, but uh, I'd love to come out to Chicago for uh for a little uh, weekend. I feel like that would be fun. Yeah, definitely. You're invited. We need to uh, schedule something out with like maybe Alex or some of the other. Yeah. I, you know, I just, I, I just had uh, dinner with uh, Ricky D last week, actually. He oh yeah. You mentioned Chicago. you were doing that. How was that? It was fun. Yeah. He, um, he's Canadian and, um, he, he moved to Chicago years ago to work with, uh, Taylor KB and those guys to start draft day. The, like one of the original DFS sites. Yeah. And so he, he knew the he knew the area and his favorite pizza joint was my favorite pizza joint too, just by chance. So we we met there. Wow, can we can we leak the name of this joint or will it yeah. ruin the best kept secret in Chicago? It's, no, it's, it's, we barely got in. We were totally smooth brain, didn't uh, get reservations and stuff. And it's Peckwads. It's on uh, Clybourne and Webster. There you go. Do you have a promo code? Promo code uh, Brick75. No. I mean, Brian, you turning into a pizza influencer, Brick Oven, Brick75. I mean, it's all there. I watch I watched some of Portnoy's, but he loves that New York style. And around here, we don't have any of that. Like, I mean, of course, there is, there is a bunch of New York styles, but it's mainly pub and deep dish. And the place we went to, they're known for their pan, though. So Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm more, I'm not, a, I, I mean, I'll enjoy really good deep dish. It's not, it's not my favorite. Uh, I prefer the pan, I think. Yeah, I prefer uh, uh, pub style, just regular thin yeah. crust. But this pan is so good. It, you, anyone would like it, I think. It's great. So what's the update on, on Ricky D? We need to get him back on the show. It's been what? Was that like the summer last year that he was on? It's been a while. I'm sure he'll come on. Yeah, no, he's just, he's just playing. He's back. He's 
back playing baseball because he doesn't do NBA anymore. Yeah. So you'll see you see his name on the leaderboards. Um, he's he's an he's an interesting guy because he's he's pretty loud. Like it's kind of it was kind of loud in there, but like. <laughs> It's it's funny. He probably doesn't even recognize realize this was happening, but like he was like these these fucking libs, man. Like where do they and and like and I'm I'm like I'm like I like you I'm like you have to realize like everyone in the north side of Chicago is a, a lib, right? Like it's just just you and me. That's it. And um and like our waitress is there, and I'm like God, she's I think she's getting uncomfortable. <laughs> he, he's just totally oblivious. He's like their economics are so shitty. Like how do they not put together this? And that? You know, it was it but was fun. Did you, did you guys at least avoid any big Bitcoin arguments with fellow uh, people at the bar and restaurant? Yeah, no, we because we were at our own uh, like section. Luckily, so no problem. There you go. There you go. Um, yeah, people, uh, speaking of libs, uh, lots of polarized reactions to last week's show. Uh, we're still getting comments on the YouTube video from last week with Davis. I mean, completely polarizing, like people being like, I love Davis. Just someone said it was Davis's Mona Lisa. Other people <laughs> incredibly pissed off at Davis calling him a, a feckless lib, um, all over the map. So that's, that's the Davis Matic experience elicits those strong reactions in one direction or the other. That's interesting. Yeah, I think the crossover audience should give like a, an interesting response there. Because like when I talk with them, honestly, like our stuff is a lot, usually a lot crazier than what we talked about last week. Like yeah. I feel for like normies, like they'd think like, what the, what the hell are they talking about? But like, um, uh, yeah, with, but with his audience, you know, they tune in for him. I'm assuming, or like if he has a guest that someone that people specifically like, but like he, you know, everyone curates their audience to some extent. Right. And so like doing it over on your channel with our show, it, you could, you could see some interesting responses were like bound to happen. I haven't checked those out though. I should go on the YouTube channel. Yeah. There's a, I get, I can pull up. I can, maybe I'll pull some of these up right now. Yeah. Pull them up. There are some funny ones in there. I mean, the, uh, yeah, we we did a longer show, uh, obviously with Davis than we so than we normally I... do. Um, let's see here. Oh, there's one for you. You could see Brick being an Elon guy from a hundred million miles away. <laughs> <laughs> um, let me get, where are I? Okay, uh, let me see here. Uh, Rodney thought it was a ten out of ten. Oh, this was the one that came in overnight. How could that golem looking dude Davis bad takes Maddox say nobody <laughs> likes Elon laugh my ass off and then right underneath it Davis Maddox Mona Lisa Mona <laughs> 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 Lisa it just th like this th this screenshot right here is the Davis Maddox experience in a in an absolute follow up with a BTC solve Bitcoin yeah. solves this. Yeah, Kyle Daly. Davis is take that Elon is an idiot, stupid person and a loser. <laughs> Might just be the most unsophisticated take of his I've ever heard. Unless this was a sophisticated plan to get people riled up. You've been got, Kyle. Thank God. That's what I think. This is what we got Ricky D started too. He's like, fucking Davis, I listened to your guys' podcast. He's like, he's such an emotional lib. Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> like you can't you can't even talk to him. He's too emotional. Oh my goodness. Uh, yes, but very fun. I think we should, uh, I mean, you and Davis have very good, uh, take casts as well, but I enjoyed kind of, uh, moderating that, uh, conversation. Yeah, no, I thought we got to some interesting, interesting spots. We'll have to sprinkle those in.
for sure. Um, let's see, Bullock. Thank you. Yes, uh, commenting on my best ball video uh, from earlier today. Posted that on my other channel. If you guys haven't heard about it, I started uh, a different channel for non live streams. So doing some more scripted, pre-produced content there uh, and did the first one about kind of structural strategies, looking at win rates and data from last year and trying to see how we can apply those to best ball mania three, even though uh, I know we're kind of in a battle right now with parts of DFS Twitter over best ball bros taking over the timeline <laughs> in early May. Um, what's your, what's your game plan with the, uh releasing i just out of curiosity like are you trying to do like one a week one a month is there no rhyme or reason to it or what yeah i mean in a perfect world i would love to have more of a cadence but just the way like i think it would probably blow people's minds how long that video took um i first started researching it with michael dubner so we're in a google doc he's posting data and charts i'm trying to write a script around it doing revisions finally get the research and the script done then I record it. Then I'm working with an editor. He spends lots of time on it, sending cuts back and forth to me, me giving revisions, and then it finally gets done. So, I mean, mm -hmm. Dubner and I have been working on that for a couple weeks, and then the editors had it the past week. So hopefully those it gets a little more streamlined. I have a couple scripts in the can for other videos I'm working on. But yeah, it's no rhyme or reason. I'm not going to pin myself down to a schedule because that'll stress me out. And when the summer starts, I probably won't be able to do as many, but just trying to get in a groove and, um, you know, it, it's a lot, lot more work than just firing up the live stream like we do here, yeah. but it's rewarding. And I think, you know, there's an evergreen nature and a chance for like, the truth is, and we've kind of talked about this before, the Google algorithm is not putting lulls in my other live streams, like in front of a lot of people, like mm -hmm. they'll put it on the screen when we're live and then it's kind of like dead to them. Um, and so you kind of have to play the game a little bit and doing the pre-produced content is kind of, yeah. kind of what's working right now on YouTube. Yeah. It makes total, total sense to me. Um, like they, if you, if they do it just like that, then you're just going to get people who know who you are, watch your live show and then that's it. And then it's off air. It's like tough to, Tough to grow. I just thought maybe there was some algorithm trick you knew that it's like, no, you got to release one every two weeks and then it pumps you up or something like. Well, the thing is, I mean, are you familiar with the, I mean, the, the biggest dude, uh, he was in that poker game the other day, Mr. Beast. True. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so like, obviously he's making, he's doing these like very ambitious conceptual videos, but you can look at his like posting schedule. Like the he's basically making films you know, three weeks ago, one month ago, three months ago, four mm -hmm. months ago, six, but like when you're, when you try to do really high quality, ambitious stuff, it's just almost necessarily you have to, you know, pace yourself. It's hard to crank those out at, at high volume. John, you know who John Tron is? Uh, no. He, he, his is similar, but I think even more infrequent. Okay. And, and he gets whatever, 10, 15 million views each, each show. Okay. Yeah. And that's it because, you know, the goal with, I, you know, I would say a lot of our conversations that we have on Lowell's are, you know, fairly evergreen. I guess we're talking about time, uh, relevant topics, but it's like, I don't know, is the, the conversation that we had about Elon last week, it's not like, you know, that's moved on in the way like DFS content. If you're talking about the, the slate's best plays, like that's truly dead on the vine. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's just trying to find that you know, I would hope that my video I released today that someone could watch that at any point throughout the summer, 
Mm -hmm. uh, before they draft, you know, up until like the start of the season. And it would still be pretty relevant and timely for them. Yeah, probably a couple of years. And then even then someone will find it and be like, hey, is there an update to this? You know, stuff like that. Yeah. Those type of videos. I also a lot of podcast guys I see on YouTube do or Twitch maybe even they break up their show. They'll do two hours, three hours show and then break it up in the clips and then put that on a clip channel. Um, and maybe yeah. like people find the show through there. There's also like you'll find someone on YouTube and their their podcast gets like a thousand views or something. But they have like 200,000 pod downloads, right? Like they're almost strictly right. audio people too. So like, yeah, I mean, we get a decent amount of pod downloads, but um, they have that, that whole game is I've, I've been, I've been thinking about it a little bit. Like I told you, I listened to Mr. Beast on Rogan and he oh, like, yeah, I still got to listen that. to that. Yeah. He gets into like the different color shades of the thumbnails produce yeah. different outcomes and like they go crazy. Um, the other one, the thing I was thinking about is, I think we touched on this once before, is uh, like credibility. Like if you have a, a, like a thumbnail or topic that you don't even talk about, right? And yeah. clickbait and stuff like that. Or if you're clearly just engagement farming all the time. Yeah. Like for me, like I feel like you lose a lot of credibility, but a lot of those guys have like, 1.5 million followers and shit like that. So like, what do I know? I guess if like, that's your goal. Um, but to me, it seems like there's like this thin line between credibility and, and like algorithm playing. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. And you know, when you look at the most successful guys, like they're they're they generally deliver on their, on their clickbait and it's part of the game. Like you, you're trying to get people in the door and then you're, you're hoping to be able to cash those checks that you're writing. And it it's tough, right? Because I mean, even we've gotten feedback like sometimes. So like on, I, for this one, I didn't have a very clickbaity title. I didn't kind of know what our hook would be, but even Drico, I know as mentioned, he's like, based on how I title it and schedule it. And he sees the scheduled video come across. He's like, you get naturally more excited to watch a video when it says something like how to win your March Madness tournament. Like there's something like that that immediately hooks people. Whereas if we just say, hey, Pete and Brian are just going to chop it up like we normally do. Yes, people who enjoy the show are going to like that, but that's not getting compelling anyone to click. And I always analyze, I don't know if you have this, like the way I use my podcast feed is I subscribe to a ton of podcasts and I cherry pick. So it's almost like an inbox where I'm going through and I'm just reading the title. If the title intrigues me. I'll read the description and I'm just like swiping. Do I want to? And I analyze myself and I'm like, there are podcasts that I think I like and they're so bad at titling that I just swipe because they don't pique my interest. And when I'm scanning through, I even realize that like, even though I know it's good, I know it's high quality. I trust the host. If they don't have a good title on it, I, I move on. I guess I do do that. I don't, I don't think I subscribe to enough podcasts though. I think I probably, if I had a larger feed, I'd probably, because I really know what they're going to talk about. And it's like, I've yeah. just listened to it almost every time. So I'm probably going to listen to it again. Guests, guests matter sometimes too. It's like, Oh, you have this guy on there's, I'm definitely going to listen to it. And sometimes like the guest is like uh, a deterrent for me. Yeah. But I, I mean, I, I clearly, I think everyone's susceptible to, clickbait it like one way or another i yeah. definitely look at the titles and might click on something more frequently 
it's it's crazy how our how our brains are wired and then of course like you were saying some of the the big time guys are getting so deep in it that they're looking at color theory and you know stuff for their their thumbnails and i was talking about this with spags last week cuz i was listening to an interview with the founder of the morning brew newsletter which is a massive newsletter they sold a few years back for 75 million dollars and one of the things they would do is take some of their ads or even titles and beta test them on Facebook um, because Facebook's algorithm is so good and they'd see what people would be clicking on and they'd spend like a hundred bucks on Facebook to see which one performs better and then send it out to their email list with millions of subscribers. And so, I mean, some of these guys at the top of the content funnel are just on another level with kind of the, the testing and the data they're leveraging. That's interesting. Yeah. There, he was, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say another interesting thing is like he was talking about how obviously content is now in the attention economy, but like they don't even view their competitors as like other newsletters. They view their competitors as meditation apps, uh, yoga videos. What are the other things people do in the morning or they spend their time? And it's like, that's where everyone's battling with of like, how do you capture and hold people's attention? Naga, naked yoga or just regular yoga? So say, it, is that not the perfect illustration of all of this? That that's still one of our most viewed just regular podcast episodes <laughs> because I put naked yoga in the title. Yeah, and it got like five or 6,000 views or something. <laughs> Those I poor mean, guys were probably like, oh, God, I hope these guys have hot girlfriends. I don't know where this is going, but. Yeah, I mean. And that that's that's one where we actually lost trust, right? With our oh, naked yeah. yoga audience came over and they're like, here are two uh schlubby looking dudes <laughs> yeah. talking about naked yoga, not hot girls naked dudes. We probably yoga. Get, got like 25 seconds worth from those guys. The uh, um so Josh says, Pete, is the click more important than the hook when making content? So the hook is important, but the most important thing is watch time. So Brian and I are going to do an hour podcast here. And based on my, you know, normal analytics, we'll probably have like a 35 to 40% watch time. Um, just out of necessity, some of you guys will have other things to go do. You will close out the browser. You'll go move on to something else. You'll watch another video suggested to you. And so the higher that your watch time and your retention is for videos, the more likely the YouTube algorithm is to recommend that to other people. And it makes sense, right? If everyone's watching 90% of the video, it's probably a pretty good video. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why I think most live streams outside of your Joe Rogans and your, you know, your big time streamers and stuff, like they don't have huge watch time. Like it, we could even be just like so, so, so good. And people still aren't going to sit at their computer and watch us for an hour straight. That's just like the reality of the situation and, and why I think it's hard for, for live streams to grow right now on YouTube. For for like non uh, whatever algorithmic thinking, live stream versus um, pre recorded, there's also different dynamics there. So like like for example, the Taycast, we record and then he eventually pumps it out a couple days later, and it's mm -hmm. just like a different vibe. And like there's pluses and minuses to both to both ways, even for a regular podcast, like. For live, you kind of like, okay, we can go to a funny comment. We can question, ask questions and stuff like that. And if you're just recording the two of you, you're kind of just stuck talking to each other till the, you know, your predetermined time is over or however far you're going to go. But it's also like more 
intimate. Like you could kind of forget that there's a mic in front of you and you're actually having a conversation too. Not that that can't happen live, obviously. That's like kind of Joe Rogan's thing back when he was the show was live. Is like what like the people would always come out of there and say, you know, I I can't even believe it's like going in a time machine or some sort of some sort of chamber where you're just like totally uh, fixed in the conversation, you know? So like it can work both ways, but that's something I've, I've noticed is if I do a, a, a podcast that's recorded is just has like a little different, slightly different vibe. For sure. Yeah. And there's a thing, I mean, I always remember, uh, I haven't listened to one of his podcasts in forever, but back when Mark Maron had first started and he was hitting all the top tier, co- you know, comedians he would always say, and it was true, like he got to the best stuff in the last 20 to 30 minutes. It's like, there's all this foreplay dancing around at the top. Then you're finding your conversational rhythm with the guest. Then the guest finally gets more comfortable. And then you get the really natural organic sound bites when the guest has finally completely dropped whatever mm-hmm. kind of tension I'm being interviewed. And then is just completely forthcoming and honest. And I, I think in, to an extent, like you could even say that about our podcast with Davis last week, right? Where we had some topics we wanted to hit. And I think even I was like, oh, you know, we are we going to, before we go or whatever? And you guys were like, oh, I don't have a hard out. You guys want to keep rolling. And once we went past the like, oh, let's fit everything we want to talk about into this chunk and then just started conversating, I feel like it got to probably the most interesting part of the show. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, yeah, and the, the longer we go, maybe the more that's likely to happen. Um. I, I mean, like, I think I actually prefer it. Like, I prefer it that way, you know, where it's more – Mark Marin you just made me think, like, God, I haven't listened to him in ages. Like, it, back in the day, he was – he was had to be, like, top five or ten podcasts out there, right? I don't know if he still is. But, like, I can't see myself now, like, sitting down and less listening to him. Like, I don't know. Things were different back then. Like, I can't – comedians, I guess, are a little different, but, like, I can't – bring myself to like, listen to what a celebrity has to say about modern issues. Like I, I I do not care at all. And like, and Mark Marin is also kind of like one note. Uh, You know, I don't want to shit on him, but like, it's like, okay, I've listened to like 10 or 20 Mark Marins. I get it. You know, like I know where this is going to go. Well, what made the Mark Marin show really interesting to me. And let's just say like the first hundred to 150 episodes is he had, there was this clear, kind of narrative arc and thematic through line where he felt kind of like a disrespected comedian coming up. He had lots of chips on his shoulder. Um, he had his white whale and like trying to crack like Lorne Michaels and figure out what his deal was. Yeah. He had these comedians he thought weren't as successful or as good as him who were more successful. Mm-hmm. And he had this dynamic. One of his favorite phrases was like, are we good? Are we good? Like it was this clearing house for all these old relationships he had. And it was like, he was working through them and finding like more clarity uh, and just peace of mind about where he had ended up in his career. And I think once that dynamic had kind of run its course, then it was just like your typical interview show. And he started doing musicians and stuff. And I think it just lost its kind of luster because that was what was fun to me was watching him work through this in real time where yeah. he he would interview comedians. I really liked that. He wasn't super familiar with. I remember he had like Mulaney on or my guy, Harris Whittles rest in peace. And he'd be like, basically saying, why are you popular? Like, I don't get it kind of thing. And he kind of like grew and evolved. He was like, okay, I can see why people would like something that's not me. You know, he might've jumped the shark. Now I'm thinking, thinking back after the Barack Obama interview. Yeah. I think that might be his, his uh, jump the shark moment. 
I don't know. And it's tough. Like you can't you can't begrudge anyone from doing a an interview with Barack Obama. I mean, it's a no. massive massive get for a podcast and something you build toward like it's hard to get a bigger guest than than barack obama if trump if trump goes i want to be on lulls would you go like come on in pal um or would you be like no so in this hypothetical is mm -hmm. trump like going on a bunch of random shows or is this like an exclusive hmm well i don't i mean i don't i guess i don't really have a preference so I, I guess like my thought is, is like if he's just literally just filling his calendar, like they say we need to do just the most insane PR can campaign ever. And he's going on food shows, wrestling shows, like just everything. I'd be like, fuck off. Uh, but if if you have the chance to have an exclusive as much as I think he's a piece of shit. Um, yeah, we'd, we'd probably have him on. OK, so Barack, would you have Barack on? Yeah, sure. OK, even if he's doing all the PR, well, and I stuff? feel like. I mean, Barack, I feel like we could have an actual interesting conversation about a bunch of societal topics, whereas Trump would just be pushing whatever, you know, bullshit agenda he has. Oh, come on. That'd be interesting. It'd be interesting as hell. I mean. Oh, I didn't say it wouldn't be interesting. I think it would be very entertaining. I think I would have a lot of fun trolling him. I feel like it would be <laughs> reminiscent to my interview with the fantasy football counselor. Um, <laughs> it would definitely be interesting, but I would not expect to have a remotely interesting conversation with him. Oh my god! Of course, it'd be interesting. I think it'd be fun as hell. I'd troll him too by kissing his ass. I'd be like, "You're the greatest president of all time." We all realize that, you know, shit like that. You're the greatest podcast host, the best host. <laughs> um, let's see, who would be a guest you would love to have outside of sports? Well, we've already said this. We want we want to bring some poker bros on. Yeah, but um, yeah, non gambling. That's a good question. Yeah, outside outside of sports. I'll say um, this for sport like for sports, like athletes and stuff. Ugh. Thumbs down. Much rather have Trump than <laughs> than like fucking D DJ Metcalf or something. Like Yeah. I feel like did I even, say his name? DK Metcalf. I don't even know his name. Fuck. I do feel like there's people that I guess they would still be considered sports ad adjacent or like you said, poker, like guys like Harala Bob would be super fun oh, to have a awesome. conversation with. Um, Mike McDonald, like poker crypto speculator, I think would be very fun to talk with, but that's maybe that's still not far enough outside, uh, you know, our, uh, our, our circle or orbit. That, yeah. Any of those guys would be fun. Any of the, the interesting poker players, um, a lot of the guys yeah. Polka's head would be fun to talk talk to. Yeah, yeah, Ed, Ed Miller. I think I think cool. I could get Sean Deeb on. I think I still have his number in my phone. I got to know him when I did some Poker Night in America stuff, and oh yeah, he just did he did like the Barstool Poker podcast recently, and because he knew a decent amount about Bryn Kenny, and he, he's he's a guy that's willing to fire off. Some that's what I was going to say. Me. He'd be good. Yeah, he'd be a good guest to. He'd be like maybe, a chess is okay guy. Maybe I'm I'm gonna make a note of that. Message Sean Beeb. I feel like he would fit the Lulz vibe pretty well. That's yeah, he uh, does seem like perfect. Well, stuff. let's let's talk about this. Rick says get Jungleman on. Oh god, yeah. So Brian, you tipped me off to it. He was on Doug Polk's podcast the other day talking about uh, a variety of issues. And I mean, there were some truly puzzling things he said. He, he often just talks in like word salad and vomit to where it doesn't even make sense. But then there were just some truly hilarious moments as well. He, um, 
he uh i deleted it i typed out a t- tweet deleted it you know you've, i'm sure everyone's done yeah. that right we're like this is probably not a good idea because he he tweeted something today about about the interview because he kept he had this fixation on he's not about hate right like don't hate <laughs> yeah. on anybody don't hate yeah. on Durr, right it doesn't matter Durr fucked him over in the challenge um we're probably skipping a lot of stuff that people don't know about in the, uh, unless they're in the poker world but well, let's uh, do a quick it, tldr so way back when tom dwan oh and jungle God. man had done this that'd be like 2009 i don't even know it was a long time ago it was before black friday yeah and Dur did this challenge where he would offer anyone probably going to get some of the details wrong like three to one minimum 500 grand something like that or minimum minimum million dollars three to one if they could beat them in x amount of hands heads up and so uh, I think a few people took him up on that challenge. Uh, he but he also, he said like he wouldn't play Phil Galfond and he wouldn't play Ivy. Maybe he had some people yeah. he wouldn't play and he, I can't remember who else he played, but then eventually jungle man took him up on it. So it was Durr's 1.5 million versus uh jungle man's 500 K plus, you know, you play poker at whatever the stakes were. And he eventually just kind of bailed. Maybe it was during Black Friday that some of the problems started to happen. They couldn't finish, but he kind of was losing and just bailed out and and just never really addressed it. And, and this was back when, when yeah, all ahead. the rumors started, too, about what's going on with Tom Dwa. This was back when he had, did he get sucked into the triads, the gangs over there in Macau? Does he have all these debts to other people? Because, of course, everyone thought of Tom Dwan, this high-stakes guy, crushes at all levels, all different game types. Why isn't he settling his debts here? Why is he dodging this? And I mean, I listened to that interview with Jungle Man and I still don't know if I have any specific answers on on what went down. It was, I didn't even make sense why he did the interview. (laughs) If he wasn't going to address anything, he did say that he, he's paid most of the 1.5. Yeah. So it's like, like, it sounds like it's almost over. And, but like he was still, but like there was penalties, like if you don't, play you get penalized and like i guess he didn't pay those or they he considered them part of the 1.5 or it's it was hard to follow and the interview kept getting more and more i what the what's the word like uh incoherent i mean yeah. i don't know if incoherent it was that bad and like then he i guess he made a softcore porn video at some point he wouldn't did like, you really ever talk. see that i of course googled it <laughs> Okay. I remember that live when it happened because I remember Joe Ingram was like losing his mind at this video. <laughs> I don't remember it. Yeah, I don't remember that happening. Um, funny, that was the funniest part about the whole interview. And I know we're jumping around a bunch. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Doug Polk is like grilling him on like, how did you do this softcore porn, like poker music video? And he kept justifying it and saying he was trying to make asymmetric bets with huge upside in his life. And Doug's like, you can say asymmetric upside <laughs> as much as you want. I still don't know how the fuck this video happened. <laughs> and then he's like, he regrets it. He's like, yeah, in some elite circles, that stuff is, uh, you know, not really looked upon nicely. <laughs> what else did he say and then he wouldn't answer whether he still plays poker anymore um maybe that that could be a topic for pete's new channel yeah um then he wouldn't like answer if it was uh uh playing poker anymore and uh the 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 i thought the, the the funniest part was when he was pressured him on on the this hate this hate thing he was 
obsessing yeah. over like no don't hate there the hate's the big problem in the world and so he like you know just pushes them this is like godwin's law in action here eventually he pushes them all the way okay well is it okay to hate hitler right and he and he stumped them right and, and so he starts mumbling over <laughs> whether it's okay to hate hitler or not he could like he could have easily, you know, handled that. Like, no, of course, Hitler. I, I'm talking about cultural issue. But like, there's a million ways to handle this, and he handled it the, the pretty much the worst possible way. Um, and then he's like, "Well, what about Stalin?" So I wanted. So I was gonna tweet. So I was. I was gonna. I was gonna tweet it. I'm like, "That was a great interview. You've really changed my mind on hate, especially with the you know the leaders of World War II. I now you know, you know." Let let everyone makes mistakes, right? Let the, let oh, by yeah. that guy yeah, you wisely or something like that. And I just deleted it instantly. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. Clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The uh I have some funny other jungle man connections. You know, you know my buddy Mike Zakarian, right? Does yeah. uh team hold? So a long time ago, Jungle Man had a tweet, and I think this was maybe right at the start of the pandemic. Um, and he's like, I'm looking to do some online improv classes. And my buddy, Mike had been teaching some improv in New York and stuff. And so I just like jokingly tagged him in the tweet. I was like, my buddy, Mike has been an improv coach for the stars. And, uh, I, I think he would be perfect for you. He ends up syncing up with my buddy, Mike and Mike does, you know, I think somewhere from like 10 to 15 various online improv one-on-one -on -one lessons with jungle man. And uh, they're not all my stories to tell, but uh, there are there are some wild ones in there. And uh, can you just imagine doing one on one improv training with Jungle? So basically what that means is, you know, he'd coach him and talk, you know, theory and whatever, but then he would practice scenes with him. And so he's having to play the straight man to Jungle Man in these one on one uh, improv lessons. It just like blew my mind thinking about that scenario. I'd love to hear those. Um, and then those. the other thing about jungle too, is I, I followed him. Uh, I still follow him on Instagram and you could tell like over the past couple years, he's been having kind of an identity crisis where you can tell he feels a little empty in his life, been very successful at poker, but kind of grasping for what does this mean? What's the meaning of life? Is this really what I want my legacy to be? And he started doing these charity initiatives but in a very jungle man way. So he would be in London and be like, yeah, we're raising, you know, money or, you know, getting food for a food bank and stuff. And then he would pull up to the food bank in a Lamborghini with two models he hired to wear Santa outfits. Um, and so it's just like this very is like, I want to do good things, but I also want to do it in the most lavish, extravagant way <laughs> possible, which just felt so jungle manny to me. I felt like, man, I I would lose. I lost to this guy. Like, I, <laughs> I feel that way a lot of times. You know. What was the other story? Yeah. So when I did the poker night in America, Matt Glantz was one of the producers, and I didn't. They basically had like the series of like whoever won the heads up tournament, then got the other one. So 
I I missed. I wasn't there for the first one when Jungle Man played. But Matt Glance was telling a story that um, they left the hotel and Matt Glance got a a call from the hotel and they're like, hey, your guy, Dan Katz, um, he left all of his stuff in the room. And so Matt calls up jungle man is like, Hey man, do you, do you want to come back? You want me to try to get you your, your suitcase and your clothes? He's like, ah, no, I was done with it. And so jungle man just left his entire wardrobe or whatever that he had packed for the trip. It was just like, no, I don't, I don't need it. I want to get new clothes or, or whatever. So all these stories have led me to build up. Uh, I feel like I understand jungle man at this point. It's uh, you think I was thinking about like, why does DFS not have a ton of these personalities? And I think it might be because DFS kind of scales older. Like, because back in the poker days, 25 was old. Mm -hmm. Like, all those guys were like 20, 21, shit like that. And, you know, young people do stupid stuff. Yeah. Um, And then if you're you're a poker player for your entire adult life, you might be a little strange. (laughs) You know, like, it might be like survivorship bias or... um, you know, poker just does crazy things to you. Yeah. But like, yeah, like DFS is like everyone's in their thirties, you know, here, like it, because this has been kind of a theme of the past couple of weeks is us trying to untangle some of the differences between poker and DFS and why poker has been able to kind of build out more of these characters. This is like a, a random angle, but do you think there's more like, um, large whales, willing to like splash around, you know, the businessmen or whatever in poker than there are in DFS. Out, I, I mean, if I had to guess, I would say, yeah, I would say definitely like who is splashing around at the 10 K three man's like, I never pay attention to those, but yeah, I don't, man, I don't, it doesn't seem very like, at, like at, it's not, I don't think there's enough action. Like, Oh, I'm going to splash around and I wait, what? I have to pick 10 guys. <laughs> right. I'm just trying to think through like the the ecosystem at the highest levels of poker. Like those guys would go to Macau to play in these games yeah. with these high high rollers and they were there were lots of marks in those games and it would sustain you could you could still have a table with like six pros if there were two really big fishes at the table and I'm just thinking like that's like supported like a healthier ecosystem that trickles all the way down to poker and allows people to stay around more. Whereas in DFS, like it's harder to make that an aspirational way to like ladder up to that because it basically, you have to be a tournament, a really good tournament player like you to kind of stick around. And then you're just kind of in the mix with everyone else. It's like the world series of poker for you every week. Whereas there's no like super good equivalent of you going to, macau to play poker or play dfs at the highest level yeah they maybe they should do like a uh world series of, of dfs somehow in the caribbean or something every year who knows that you know what i bet though pete i bet those guys are in the sports book yeah i bet they're throwing 50k down on a game they're gonna watch that night or 100k um so maybe they would come over you never know it's they're like, ah, 100K, ah, you know what? If I got a, like a showdown, a big like 10K, 50, you know, 10K showdown yeah. lineup where they just pick six guys from the game they're going to watch at 930. Yeah. Maybe. I, I don't know. I don't know. 
I, I do think this is, and we talked about this point as it pertained to poker vlogs, where you're kind of literally letting people in on your exact decision process in real time. Deadhead said DFS is a more isolating game. We don't watch people make decisions on their lineup. Live poker is more mm. interactive. I mean, that's the thing too, right? With DFS, like how riveting would it be? People, Brian, people would line up, even though you say like, you know, your Sims and stuff, you know, it's just like the math, it just, the math does it. And it is it's what it is. Boring. Yeah. But if you had like an actual screen share and you were just kind of talking through as like, okay, now I did this input. Now I'm running the Sims. Now I'm selecting which one 50. Oh, I think something might, if you just talked through with screen share as you did it, I guarantee people would find that riveting. Yeah, I bet you're right. And, um, I think the proof is in some of your other streams, um, with best ball. Like, People are kind of watching, watching you play poker, watching you play best ball, and and uh, it's it's exploded in popularity. Did you see Drafters now? Yeah. They got two hundred fifty k up top, one million dollar prize pool. And I for think the it's big no one. tournament structure, right? It's just uh, most points in the regular season. You know, I I yeah. don't know the answer to that. I'm pretty sure that's what it is. <laughs> Probably yeah, should have yeah. checked. I just yeah. saw a tweet. Yeah, and I'm like, God damn, dear. Uh, Best ball's blowing up. Yeah, I think you're right because yeah, when I do my best ball streams, I'm talking through my logic at every decision in the way a poker vlogger would. He's like, I got this under the gun. I decided I wanted to three bet here. They're, they're talking it out for people and you get to kind of put yourself. Whereas same when I'm drafting, people are looking at the board. They're yelling at who they would rather draft than me. They get, you know, it's like a more participatory, you, you let people in on your thought process. Um, yeah, it's it's hard with DFS to open up that open up that window. So I'm looking at this right now. You're right. It's 17 week no playoff. Yeah. So how how the hell does that work? So it's just your total points um, scored. So there's no like worrying about advancing the kind of week 16 and week 17 stacks. Essentially, don't matter because um, you're not trying to optimize for the highest scoring weeks in those money weeks, like the EV. I think calculations are much different for a structure like that than Best Ball Mania 3. Yeah, I'm trying to think. It feels dupey to me. Well, I mean, it's I there's way too many variables with drafts, I think, too, to end up with duplicated lineups and just too many roster sure? spots. Yeah. Hmm, I don't know. Because like if you're playing like baseball right now, there's early baseball slate and uh Birdie's got like two home runs. So mm -hmm. basically when there's like a two or three home run uh, player on a slate, like you need, you have to have him. And that kind of happens in football all the time. Doesn't it? Like Kamara got 50 points. It's like, okay, well the teams with Kamara, that's one slot that's locked in. Yeah. But even like underdog posted it last year for kind of the percentage owned for the teams that advanced and, I want to even say guys like Cooper cup and Jonathan Taylor and Mark Andrews, the big like league winners, they were still owned no more than like 30 to 35% um, for advancing into the playoffs. So I don't, you, there's definitely a cohort of players that end up on the best teams and the winning teams. I see, I, I see what you're saying. Like, you know, at the top, like five or six, like you're going to have a lot of overlap, but that happens in the underdog contest too. Was there any dupes in that final? That you were in? No, I, I really think there's, I mean, with an 18 round draft and the amount of different variables and possible combinations, I, I think it's hard to have dupes in a meaningful way. Hmm. Okay. Yeah.
but but that but to your point too like one of the reasons i was so excited about the team buying for and i had in the in the finals last year is we didn't have a single one of those top five advance rate players all the the mark andrews debo samuel cooper cup jonathan taylor none of them which put us in a really nice spot when so much of the field had those guys and then on the flip side we were like one of the few teams that had rashad penny rashad penny goes for 30 points like having a unique team in those final that final money week where it's like a gpp and it's like 40 percent of the fields rostering cooper cup like he becomes a pretty obvious fade in that structure at that point obviously you can't decide to fade it but if you can build teams that have a unique path that don't share those players i think it's a huge advantage you know i mean i think in this just you know, thinking through strategy here for the 10 seconds that I've realized this was no playoffs. Mm-hmm. It, you definitely contrarian makes a lot more sense on that site because yeah. yeah you, if you get this like 40, 40% drafted guy, you, you just lost 40% of the lineups where in a playoff format, that's not necessarily true because they could then make it. And then that guy comes back or whatever from injury and then helps you in your playoffs or who knows. Yeah, and I know um, in the FFPC finals, um, Leone was the only team, and it's tight end premium over there. He was the only team that didn't have Mark Andrews, I want to say, and I think he was the only team that had George Kittle, and he was so stoked about that because it's like the tight end is such a big swinger in that scoring system, and if the entire contest, the finalists, it all get a dud from Mark Andrews and you get the 40-burger from George Kittle, I mean, it's like game over for the rest of the field. So like that stuff because there's a what a natural selection bias as you move around like all the teams with the best players all naturally advance so if you're able to squeak in there with a super unique team it's a massive advantage but back back to the content thing um i do think that that is probably the the best ball live draft streams is kind of the closest to the twitch poker you know the twitch poker streams that can get pretty popular um just not many people are doing them. You could probably make them. We've talked about some ideas about making those uh, a little more interesting too. Um, I mean, someone built, I mean, hand build. I don't know. We've done hand building at the end of if, shows. But people like that. I mean, when we do it on the swole cast, we do have that. Like we build golf lineups. Like that is, you know, cause you're at least talking through it. I think the hard thing is, is like, it's harder to imagine that being the optimal way to make a lineup. Whereas like, if you're talking through a poker hand, you could talk through what actually is the optimal decision with the, with the factors. What are the, I I honestly, I've never watched one, but um, are they playing poker and just like six tabling and just letting it rip and then not saying much and concentrating? For the vlogs or for the streams? For the streams. Or are they actually playing like one hand or two hands and going like, okay, I think, I think this, this, and this, I'm going to balance, you know, here's my frequency, whatever. The the chat could correct me. Uh, I'm not a huge poker streamer watcher, but as I understand it, the most popular streamers are in tournaments, just playing um, oh. one, one hand. Okay. I got you. That's more exciting too, because big prize. Big money pool. up that top. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's how I understand. And then with the vlogs, <clears throat> you're obviously able to edit it. And so they can curate the most interesting hands. Um, man, I I know I, I put a ton of work into that best ball video, but just thinking of how much time goes into making a poker vlog and how you need to be present in the moment playing really good poker 
while filming, while taking notes, while remembering stack sizes, other cards that your opponents had, make sure you're time stamping those enough so you can go back through the footage and find that and then remember your decision-making process. Like it sounds absolutely exhausting and grueling to put those together. Hmm. You know, like the old training poker training videos, it's funny. Like now they just give away, give it away for free. Yeah. Talk about their strategy live on Twitch. Yeah. The, um, remember the tough, tough fish videos? The yeah. guy who used to tilt. Yeah. Insane. That's the I empire maker. I, tough fish video. Yeah. yeah. I think he died. RIP. But really? like, um, yeah, he sounded kind of older anyways in those videos. No, those, that was a long time ago, man. That was like 2004 or something. Yeah. Um, uh, I was thinking back to Corona poker days where, uh, there was that video of, uh, siege getting st- getting stacked by just yeah that was oh awesome. my god that was that was classic content you know maybe just poker is just more entertaining for this type of medium maybe maybe that could be a a, a take cast lulz hag as the three of us just playing poker and uh in, in, in tilting our faces off yeah I'd, I'd play i haven't played in fucking ages I know it was so funny how poker it was like the beginning of the pandemic is everyone was making their own sourdough bread and playing in home games, <laughs> poker home games with their friends. So I was like, what yeah. are we going to do? Oh, play poker, make bread. It's too bad. The fucking goddamn government didn't legalize that. It would have been perfect timing to make poker legal again. God, That would have been a full on blast off scenario if they had done yep. that. Can you yep. imagine the tournament sizes in like April and oh May of God. that year? Holy cow. Yeah, like we know you got nothing to do and how nervous everyone is here. Just that Somebody was I mean, in our, our Discord that Maine is making there's lots less states with some like positive sports betting. Mass yours is one. Yeah. I think it's us another state I can't remember in Maine, and they're giving it to the tribes. And it's like how is that not like totally political? <laughs> like it's either, it's either like not an immoral thing that's going to hurt society so badly and it should be illegal or like, it's so, you know, it's so dangerous. We need to, we need to regulate it harshly. Was this the one here? Um, Oh, was it Just- California? I thought I saw one with Maine. Maybe this is a different one or maybe I just misread it. Yeah, California online sports betting initiative backed by DraftKings, FanDuel, and BetMGM has qualified for the November ballot. A separate measure backed by the state's tribes would legalize sports betting, but only inside their casinos. If both get a majority of yes votes, sports betting would be legal at tribal casinos and online through commercial operators slash tribal partnerships. I think there was two. So I think there was three of them. There was Massachusetts, California, and, and Maine. And so what I asked and I didn't look in is that is that ballot measure um, binding because this is a, a political trick that we did when I was there, too, is you put you put um, a like a popular get out the vote issue on the ballot, but it's not binding and people are too dumb to realize that. So like in Illinois, it would be, oh, let's put a should minimum wage be raised to fifteen dollars. Right. So you're going to get a whole bunch of Democrats coming out to vote. Yes, but it's a non-binding resolution. So it's really just like a poll of the people. Yeah. And so then they could say like, oh, well, it's just a poll of the people. but we're going to take this into account next election. But really, it's just to get more asses in the booth. Uh, and, and it's whoever has power over 
the legislature at that time, and mm. usually here it's Democrats, they get control of what goes on the ballot too. Okay. So, and and like a whole bunch of other stuff, like like the the shapes of the districts, like the gerrymandering selection is done by the party in power and stuff like that. And so, um, if it's not binding, they're just fucking with you. Okay. Yeah. And Chris saying Connecticut has the same thing. And I remember when we, when that story broke and it was basically this monopoly, right. Two where they only had, it was like three licenses and DraftKings had one and FanDuel had one. And then you had to pony what millions of dollars to get the third license, which was going to price out basically every other small time operator. There's no chance underdog or FFPC is going to be able to, you know, justify spending whatever it was, $2 million just to operate annually in Connecticut. It's, it's so like the, the, the Indian casino thing. And like, uh, this is what it was they called in the article. I don't know if you're supposed to call it that, but whatever, like, it just seems so blatant. Like we're going to give it to this group. It's like, like, what if it was like, we're going to give online poker to Walmart. It's like, wait, what? You can't do that. Is it legal or not? Like, what are you doing? Yeah. And they, they just don't give up. They just don't, they could care less. And it's such a, like, it, 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 I mean, there's a lot of things that shine a light on what a, what a joke it is, but like even seeing it just for the underdog stuff pop up where it's like all of a sudden now Michigan people can't draft best ball teams. Like it, it's just so arbitrary really? and random with the stuff. And then in some States you can do pick them, but you can't do best yeah. ball and vice versa elsewhere. And it's like, what the fuck are we doing here? Right, right, right. And, and, you know, honestly, I should like, I'm being, um, uh, like hyperbolic or whatever, whatever the word is like, um, it's like, uh, it's, it, it's not random. It's complete. They know exactly what's going on. And I'm so like, I could guess in Michigan, there's, there's casino interests and interests within the, the state house that want to fuck with best ball. That yeah. like that, that they think best ball is taking some of the money away from their, their product. They've been donating to these guys. They have relationships with them. And so they, they pressure them and then they call the gaming board who's who those people are assigned by the politicians through the legislature and they start blocking shit. And then if you don't play ball and get in there, which is tough because not only do you need money, you have to figure out what, what the hell's going on there. And the interests that are there, don't want you there. So like the fact that we have any of this stuff is pretty kind of amazing. But like, anyways, the point is, it's just like, you 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 want to go like what is going on here? But it's 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 clear almost almost for sure. I mean, I, I don't live in Michigan. I'm, I don't work at that state house, but I would bet a uh, a lot of money that it, that's what's going on. Yeah, and and you know, Matthew, I'm I'm very excited about it as well to be legalized in Massachusetts. But again, you, when you to your point, Brian, about like peeling back the the reasoning behind it, my guess is if DraftKings wasn't based here this wouldn't have gotten through even now. And it was dragged out for a long time, but DraftKings has a major presence in the state. They have big pockets, you know, for lobbying and stuff. And, and my guess is in knowing just kind of what kind of state Massachusetts generally leans on this stuff that we wouldn't have had it for, for a while if it wasn't for DraftKings kind of nudging them. Yeah. And it could be, and who, who's the problem there? Like Foxwood, Foxwoods or somebody, I'm, I'm assuming there's some Foxwoods big is Connecticut. I mean, there's the in Springfield. That doesn't, doesn't stop. Yeah. That's not stop. You're right. Remember I told you that story about Comcast, right? Right. 
you know, and so like they they'll donate from all over to every legislator. Before um, the win opened up in um in Everett, which is you know a stone's throw from downtown. I mean, Boston was essentially like 90 minutes from three different casinos, one out in Springfield, Foxwoods, Mohegan. Mm -hmm. There was a couple in Providence. And so there was, you know, it was basically free for the picking. And then, and then we got the win. I still haven't been over there yet. Um, I kind of want to check it out. One change that could happen sometimes is um, people retiring. Mm. So like if you have, someone in uh, like a position of power. So either the Senate president or the speaker or someone on their, their direct team. Cause they usually have like a leadership team of like three or four people on both sides. And if, or it depends on your state's constitution. If you have like a constitutional office, like a state's attorney or something like that, that gets changed. That can have an effect because it's like, Hey, you weren't donating to me for the last 30 years. You were donating to my predecessor. Right. So right. like, I'm okay. I have a good relationship with DraftKings. I think they should be legal because that, you know, bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. So like sometimes you can get lucky on, on that. If people retire or get voted out and they had a lot of influence, especially mm. if they were old school, then they've probably had relationships with those three casinos for 20, 30 years. Yeah. Um, Sag's asking a question. Could the U S federal government roll out legalized gambling across the U S on a federal level? Yeah. It seems like they're rolling back federal uh, legislation. Lately, it's like we're going in the wrong direction on that. <laughs> but I would say the odds of that are, is this, is this Spag's little brother? Spag's 21. <laughs> Sex. Um, uh, I would say that's super unlikely. And unconstitutional, but I'm not a constitutional scholar. I don't think they would, they have the right to do that. But um, super, super unlikely that they would say poker's legal in all the states. Because there's like no chance of that happening. I mean, how does that work too? Because obviously it's beneficial on the state level, similar to weed, like the amount of tax revenue that you can garner from gambling from weed how how would it benefit the federal government on a on a federal level i mean would they be able to take a cut uh, of that as well i mean yeah if they if they put that in legislation yeah that's that's one thing they do have the power to do is the power of the purse and so they could they could i mean you're you're not supposed to um levy a tax on the states like that though so like that was the whole obamacare ruling where um that's how unemployment insurance works too, actually. So like they can't charge, um, they can't force states to have unemployment insurance programs. So each state has their own unemployment insurance program. They can't force us to do that. But the what the law says, what the Unemployment Insurance Act says is if we don't do it, so let's say Illinois doesn't want to have an unemployment insurance program, there's like a five to seven, I can't remember what the number is. Let's just say like 5% tax on all Illinois businesses that goes to the Fed as a penalty. Yeah. So they use it to essentially strong arm you into having these programs. Yeah. Let's see. What does Scott say here? The Caliente Sportsbook, not regulated in any state and run by the Mexican drug cartel, advanced with the Illinois Gaming Board while Fubo, regulated in two other states, got denied. Are you familiar boots on the ground with this? Uh, no. Um Caliente Sportsbook. 
Never heard of that. <laughs> Advanced with the Illinois Gaming Board. Are you sure about that? This sounds um, wild. I've been watching Ozarks, and this sounds like uh, the next plot point here. Yeah, the game like these boards are usually determined by so like the the standard thing is something like you get you get like five board member seats, two appointed by the Senate president, two appointed by the Speaker of the House, and one appointed by either uh, a constitutional office that's relevant or um, or like like um, or some other like random associated. Uh, sector of the government so like it would be like someone appointed by the state's attorney's office would be like the fifth person and they they're they're not exactly experts in their field for who they're appointed by they generally a lot of times they're they're not paid or paid well at all and like the only vetting process is you have to go down to springfield and they might have voided that during covid but it was a big problem with us we'd have to get these people driven down to Springfield, you know, three hours away from Chicago and you testify in front of a small uh, committee hearing and then they either approve you or say, no, you're not. They always approve it though. It's like no big deal. And then, um, so like, can they get uh, a Mexican drug cartel? I seriously doubt like there's not as much um, crime uh, going, going on. I, I never saw anything that people think there is. It's just like a complete mismanagement of money because it's not the it's not the bureaucrats' money, so they don't give a shit, and there's no consequences. So, like it 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 looks a lot worse than it is, um, like on a like a moral level or whatever. I so I seriously doubt that. But Fubu isn't that like a TV streaming service? Do they also have a sports book? Yeah, I thought. Uh, I have no idea. Fubu is a clothing. This is Fubo. Uh, also, I googled Caliente Sportsbook. They have awful, awful SEO. Like not a, not a <laughs> single uh, website. This is a. I mean, they they they're getting aggregated on these other online sportsbooks, and then they have the Caliente Last Chance Sportsbook in Tijuana, and this is uh, apparently <laughs> the sportsbook. Well, to be fair, it's like good. It's not their number one moneymaker, you know. Um, yeah, I'm assuming drugs are. You would think. Hey, as long as they pay out, that's 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 all that matters at the end of the day. It it is a pretty good name for a that is a good book. name. Yeah, that's true. It's basically the run pure of sportsbook names. Oh my god, that's a partnership made in heaven. Run right pure there. Caliente, big run T pure on the mechanical sportsbook. Doing tequila shots down oh, yeah. there. I mean, that's so odd brand for them. That that this has to happen. We gotta. They're, we should contact the Illinois Gaming Board and thank them. Yes, Rud Pure Caliente Sports handshake emoji. <laughs> uh, oh my goodness. Um, any uh, any updates on the uh, on the best ball app here? Yeah, there 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 are some small ones. Um, I got price picks up on there but uh they're still where it's still very beta but like price picks pick them you can like overlay stuff on there and what's nice. the other one super draft too okay super draft has to pick them now and um i'm trying to get them to fix uh like some 
issues Pete you brought up the like uh, sizing issues and like there's some like like uh, like a big white block that populates in the bottom of the screen for some reason so they're gonna fix yeah. that they, I guess there was an uh, a holiday in India this week so they're not gonna be doing it this week Fun but <laughs> yeah there you go but hopefully it'll be uh, updated before football gets totally into yeah well once season. once we get it it'll be it'll be good because um we're gonna get the schedule release um i believe that's on may 12th and uh and then we could we can do a lulz uh draft here and show people the kind of information that you'll be able to load into the app and have kind of displayed and overlaid uh to your desktop when you're doing drafts which is which is pretty cool yeah yeah and i'm, I'm gonna try to get like etrs automated on there so like all you have to do is just log in with your username and password and you don't have to even do anything if you don't want that'll be yeah that because that was the one thing of yeah downloading the ranks uploading it syncing it for every draft um so yeah if you can get that streamlined we'll really be cooking i would like to talk to sahil um with these guests really quick with the uh i don't i want to talk i like talking to people who uh, want to have like a conversation you know like a human being like some people it's more of an espn interview or something like that yeah. and that's just annoying you know like someone said like gus hansen like gus hansen's kind of like he obviously he's cool maybe he would want to have a conversation but maybe he's he would just come on you know and just be like i don't know like this is a boring pr interview or something like that and like so anyone who would want to do like that even if they're popular popular i would just wouldn't even want to talk to him yeah, it's a fair thing. There, there's a there's a huge difference between having someone on and interviewing them, and having them on and having a conversation. And I feel like one of the reasons we've had a pretty good success rate with our quote unquote interviews, I guess our guests, is because a lot of them listen to the show. They know the vibe of the show. They sometimes yeah. reach out to us about coming on. Like Ricky D is a perfect example. We yeah. had just like a fun. Like I didn't feel like I was interviewing Ricky D no. when he was on. Um, so yeah, there there's definitely a, a distinction there and you know it's it's hard for people that don't know the vibe too and aren't familiar like it's it's generally going you got to make them feel comfortable you got to ask them questions and unless they're really forthcoming it's harder to get to really interesting spots yeah it's just it's just boring um you know speaking of don't call him a scumbag the the thing the interesting thing with dirt now i'm like buttoning all these up really quick before we end here is it didn't tarnish his reputation really at all because he got on that Mr. Beast stream. Yeah. And you would think it's like if you – it's not robbing, but like essentially delaying or almost screwing someone over for $1.5 million would be a crime, <laughs> in, I'm assuming, in some some jurisdictions. I think, man – people have such short memories. You can see it play out. Like the most recent example in my head was this big time NFT influencer beanie. And he kind of got outed and doxxed for kind of a long history of, I guess something I would call like soft scams, you know, not like necessarily breaking the law stuff, but you know, Ponzi esque type stuff, hopping around, leaving people holding the bag, whatever, you know, was outed as doing some pretty bad stuff. And you know, he laid low for a couple months and came back. And then a lot of people were like, oh, he's back to, you know, being here. And he makes lots of people money because projects he starts tweeting about do well. And so people tell him blah, blah, blah. I think kind of with Durr as well, like people have the idealized version mm-hmm. of them, of him in their head from, you know, high stakes poker, really exciting player, fun 
action Young type players. That, yeah, and that they're willing to just give him, cut him a lot of slack and be like, well, Jungle Man won't really spell out how Tom yeah. is stiffing him, so we'll just we'll just give him the benefit of the doubt. I, I think that's why uh, Doug was kind of pushing the issue. Although he didn't say this explicitly, he probably was like, this guy should not be getting this biggest uh, platform, I guess, you know, show about poker that's happened in the last decade. He, they, he shouldn't be getting this. And it's kind of your fault, uh, Jungle Man, because you have this obsession with not hating. Like if he, if you if he was called out by enough people, then someone else would take that spot who wasn't stiffing people. I'm so torn about like the Phil Hellmuth thing from being involved from obviously it led to a lot of conversation. You know, we were talking about could a DFS thing outside of Jade and Tanner ever transcended the mainstream? I mean, like the Hellmuth thing transcended into the mainstream. They were talking about on it. Uh, what was it? Pardon the interruption had it as a line item. On the other hand, you know, I think it was Polk had this comment too. Like if you're new to poker and you coming through because of some of the influencers who are on that stream are you like is everyone this big of a dick is this how everyone acts like yeah and so it's like yes it did a lot of good getting attention but is it actually a net positive for poker long term and growing the game well i I would say poker needs those guys more than they need poker for sure right like like they those those popular streamers ninja and mr beast blah 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 so like angle shooting them, right? And like shit like that, and then negotiating equity and like people like, what the fuck? Like I, I would think for poker, you you just be as cool as possible to those guys, right? And not and not make a scene like that. Like like I kind of agree with Doug's take where it's like I would just give them the pot or whatever that what whatever it was yeah. or split it with them or something like oh sorry you know this is we do this sometimes Well right because you're if if I was in that game and let's say I was a poker pro I would be thinking of myself as like I am the the ambassador for poker right now I need to have fun I need to put on a show right. I need to make these guys feel comfortable I need to give action like just fucking have fun with it um, and there's clearly people who could fit that bill. Like, I don't necessarily want to see Daniel Negreanu in that game, but how about, um, Matt, uh, Antonio S. Fandiari, like a guy that can be fun and can like mix it up a little bit too. Like you need just someone who could handle that spot a little bit better. I think. Yeah. I wonder if those guys asked for those specific players. If the streamers asked, we want Helmuth, we want their. I think, I think, I mean, poker producers and people who book these games, they're not stupid, right? They know Phil is going to act how Phil is going to act. Like when you ask Phil to come, you're hoping for a blow up from Phil, but then it's got to like wind it back. And it's like, do you really want him berating Ninja on T? Is that like really good? (laughs) Him berating Durr would be great. Like everyone would laugh their asses off at that. Yeah. 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 But like going after the 20, two-year-old Mr. Beast, like, what? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure they were prepped. Like, I'm sure their handlers and everyone was like, hey, you're probably going to do something that pisses Phil off at some point. Don't take it personally. <laughs> right. And, on, I mean, even though they're young, like, you still, they probably know who Phil Helmuth is, you'd figure. If they if they like poker enough, they're confident enough to go play it at a casino, then they probably know all about Phil. Yeah. 
Well, poker's having a nice little run here. Um, uh, as far as you know, yeah. if they can get us to talk about it on lulls, it means they're they're making some noise. Yeah, they're doing a good job. I would yeah, like I keep saying every show, like I wish DFS had more interesting people doing stupid shit. This this is the other part that pissed me off. I mentioned this on uh Club Top Shot last night when we briefly talked about this. It's like he's sitting Phil Helmuth in what you would consider a massive EV spot playing against basically even sub recreational players. And how are you not sitting there with the max and taking advantage of what I assume is really loose play, loose, aggressive play or loose, passive play by these streamers. He's sitting there with a min stack, just knitting it up. Like get the fuck out of here. Oh my, I didn't, I actually didn't watch. I just watched the highlights of the, like the three or four big things that happened. That is so weak. So weak. How could he call himself the greatest of all time? And you're not, you don't have the, confidence in yourself to play a full stack against a table of YouTubers. And I think it speaks to like, I mean, the one thing that I think you can give Phil Hummy is he's a very good tournament player and specifically knows how to nurse a short stack in tournaments, but like, that's fine for the tournament and you're trying to, you know, min cash and all that shit. But like we're, we're on a live stream cash game. Let's splash around and have fun. Not to mention you're perfectly poised to take advantage of this. Um, isn't isn't that like yeah when you say the best player in the world i want someone who can be a chameleon and acclimate to the game they're at right like read the room take advantage of that dynamic not just shell up and play my game because this is what i always do you know though but also he won't he won't take that much money off of him a he's not that good and b he's short stacked you know what are they gonna get 10 10 what's the short stack 10 bbs 20 bbs yeah, it was. I think the net was like the poker pros were down collectively over a million, and the the streamers were up collectively well over a million. Like they, they <laughs> I didn't dusted know that. them. Yeah, that's great. That's yeah. great. I hope they do that more. And like that, that's why, like DFS. I know we're not set up for that, and like we didn't even talk about this, but like we could have talked about this uh, Ceramic um, collusion thing on that Matic touchdown last week. Um, like we're not like, but that wouldn't that be cool if we were in a position where awesome ho and whoever else could sit down with some youtubers and you know have some sort of contest at a bar or something where they all pick players yeah streams like right like it's just like nowhere even near that level of an, an interest in any dfs player yeah not even close I, I'll give I'll give Alex credit he's he's doing a good job though like putting himself oh yeah I'm there. not shitting on Alex he does no he, no yeah no, I know you're not shitting on him. Yeah, I'm just his saying, like, game's great. He does basically everything that a DFS pro could do to make himself uh, a personality. Right. Uh, yeah. Some somebody who's fun and also, but he's you know he makes money. He's good, so you have to respect his game too. So he's yeah. You got both sides of that because you don't want to just be a clown because then everyone be like, oh, D- yeah. he's not good at DFS or DFS isn't skill based or blah blah blah. Yeah. Um. All right, maybe maybe we'll work. Maybe I'll uh maybe I'll reach out to Sean Deeb and we'll get, we'll get a poker guy. Uh, on he the does podcast. sing perfect. Yeah, I'll uh I'll shoot him a message. Uh, we will uh we'll be back as usual uh next Wednesday. Any other plugs for you, Brian? Um, no, I haven't done ownership yet. But if people want PGA, I will do it shortly here. Um, I don't think I have anything else. There you go. All right, guys. We appreciate you hanging uh, yes. out. Yep. We'll, we'll have the pot up soon. 
Um, we kind of like like uh, flattened out there too. So if you guys haven't subbed there, just like sub to our pod on it's on everything. Even we if you're to, like watching on YouTube, we'd appreciate it. We need to come up with a Ponzi scheme for you referring your friends and then you get rewards and then your friends get rewards for referring your friends to subscribe to the podcast. Is there going to be a, uh, a frog poison ritual at the end of this rainbow? Or There is. That's is that actually the reward is Brian and I send you out little vials of frog po- poison for every 10 <laughs> listeners you're able to convert. Bird blood poisoning, moon bird. There you go. There you go. Uh, all right, guys. Appreciate you. Enjoy your week. We'll talk to you next time. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.